This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, September 18th. I'm Samantha Sherris, and joining today's show is Steve Bradbury, a distinguished fellow here at the Heritage Foundation. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit recently heard arguments in three cases, State of Texas versus EPA, Natural Resources Defense Council versus NHTSA, or National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, and State of Ohio versus EPA, all of which Steve discusses on today's episode. We'll get to our conversation right after this. He was evading police. We were told that he was recruited on TikTok by the cartel. He was on Facebook Live, and he was going over 105 miles an hour. He came straight off that exit, and he ran that red light, and he crashed into her and killed them. He, he mutilated them. What you just heard are the first few seconds of a brand new documentary from The Daily Signal on the real cost of the Biden administration's border crisis. We spoke with Elisa Tambunga, a mother who has experienced unfathomable tragedy and loss at the hands of a human smuggler. You can find the full documentary telling Elisa Tambunga's story on the Daily Signal's YouTube page or across our social media platforms. Heritage Foundation Distinguished Fellow Steve Bradbury is joining today's episode of the Daily Signal podcast. Steve, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us again. Samantha, thank you. Great to be here. So the last time that you were on the show, we were discussing your report, How to Fix the FBI. But today we're going to be discussing something a little bit different, and that is three cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. Now, on Thursday and Friday, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit heard arguments for state of Texas versus EPA, Natural Resources Defense Council versus NHTSA, and state of Ohio versus EPA. Now, you were in the courtroom for both days for these arguments. Yes, long uh, days. <laughs> I can only imagine. Uh, first and foremost, can you break down these cases for us, starting with state of Texas versus EPA? Be happy to, Samantha. Thank you. Um, I think before I get dive into the cases, mm-hmm. I want to step back and give people sort of the big picture. Um, and this may be news to a lot of Americans out there, but every American should know what's happening, uh, what the Biden administration is trying to do, and also the regulators in the state of California. They're trying to force the auto industry to convert its production of vehicles from gas-powered vehicles to electric vehicles. And they really have in mind a ramp rate to do that that gets to 100% electric, all electric cars and trucks, SUVs, pickups, your crossovers, all, all those vehicles that American families need and love would have to be all electric by sometime in the middle of the 2030s. They also have that plan for big heavy-duty trucks. That's on a longer time frame. But they are beavering away, working as hard as they can to push this requirement through and actually force automakers to convert to electric vehicles much faster and a much much more broadly than market demand could possibly support. And the Biden administration is doing this on its own authority. Congress has never taken on this question and approved 
this mandate to force the industry to move to electric vehicles, to force Americans to have no options at the dealership but electric vehicles? So you'd no longer be able to find at the dealership new models of the vehicles that American families depend on and love so much, like your gas-powered pickups, SUVs, crossovers, and other, other vehicles? I mean, as we know, historically, gas-powered cars have been the freedom machine for Americans. There's, there's some feeling of freedom and independence in having a tank full of gas in your car in the garage. Well, that would all go away in a, in a world where we're talking about 100% electric. And of course, a lot of people are not going to be able to afford those electric vehicles, not going to want to buy them. So they're going to be stuck driving older and older used vehicles. And that is not safe. Uh, NHTSA, it's NHTSA, the National, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, statistics show that um, older vehicles are less safe in highway accidents. So everybody understands safety is going to be sacrificed by this forced transition. Prices of all new cars are going to go way up. So there's a lot of negative implications. There's also, of course, the dependence on China, which processes the minerals for the electric vehicles and all that. So these are huge questions of national importance affecting the national economy, affecting American families in every market in the country and every state. These are decisions Congress should make for the nation. Congress is the elected representatives for the national government, which regulates interstate commerce. So where does the Biden administration get the authority to do this on its own? Well, it's claiming the authority under old statutes that were passed in the 1970s that had nothing in mind with regard to forcing this transition to electric vehicles, the Clean Air Act and the Energy Policy and Conservation Act. So under the Clean Air Act, EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, is claiming authority to set fuel to set excuse me emission controls, environmental limits on emissions of pollutants from the tailpipe of cars, at levels that are so low by regulation that they're impossible to meet for gas-powered traditional gas-powered vehicles. And so it's going to force the industry in order to meet these standards to convert more and more of their fleet to electric vehicles because then they look at the overall fleet and require a certain average for the fleet. So that's forcing the automakers to produce more and more electric vehicles to meet those standards. Similarly, the Biden administration, Department of Transportation, through NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, which is a component of DOT, is setting fuel economy standards. That's the only agency in the whole government, federal or state, that has authority to set fuel economy standards for new vehicles. And they are setting those fuel mileage requirements similarly so high that the only way to meet them is to migrate your fleet more and more to electric vehicles. Now, they, in the case of NHTSA, by law, they are prohibited from taking into account the fuel economy of electric vehicles when they set those fuel economy standards. Those standards are supposed to be only for internal combustion engine vehicles. But here, NHTSA took into account the fuel economy of electric vehicles that are in the existing fleet in determining how much tougher they could make the fuel economy standards and how the 
automakers would respond. So in setting the standards, they took into account as part of the baseline these electric vehicles. Then the other thing that's going on is California. Gavin Newsom has decreed, again, by executive order, just like President Biden, that, uh, you know, reality be damned, we are going to reach 100 percent electric new vehicles sold in California by 2035. And his regulators at the California Air Resources Board, which sets climate regulations for California, is doing that by requiring automakers to sell increasing amounts of zero emission vehicles, basically electric vehicles, until they reach that 100 percent in around 2035. The only way California can set those regulations is if the Environmental Protection Agency at the federal level gives them a special waiver that allows them to do that. And, be, and that's because Congress has said that the federal emission standards from pollutant emissions from tailpipes, the limits that the EPA sets will be the exclusive limits for the nation and no state may set any different limits. But they made this exception for California that allows the EPA to give California a waiver so California can set its own stricter standards. But that's, that requires EPA to find that it's necessary for California to do that because of compelling local issues, conditions, environmental conditions in California, local environmental conditions in California. And they've granted those waivers in the past. But it's very different now when California gets a waiver to regulate for climate change purposes, greenhouse gas emissions from the tailpipe. That really means carbon dioxide. If they can regulate carbon dioxide from the tailpipe, they can force the automakers to convert their whole fleet from gas power to electric. And that is what they're doing, using that regulatory authority. EPA gave them that authority in the Biden administration by granting this waiver. This waiver has been very contentious for years. Originally, the Bush administration denied it for greenhouse gas regulation, climate change regulation. Then the Obama administration granted it. Then the Trump administration withdrew it. And now the Biden administration has reinstated it, okay? And so it's been bouncing back and forth. It's very politically contentious. But there's a real serious question whether it meets the standard under the Clean Air Act for this waiver. So these are the issues that are under challenge in this D these D.C. Circuit cases. So in the first case, it's a challenge to the EPA's tailpipe rules, which are trying to force the automakers to convert to electric by making the standards so tough, you can't meet them with an internal combustion engine, a fleet that's all internal combustion engine. The second challenge is to the NHTSA fuel economy standards, saying they are unlawful because NHTSA took into account electric vehicles when it considered what the standards should be. And um, then the third challenge, which was argued just today in the D.C. Circuit, is the challenge to EPA's decision to reinstate that special waiver for California. And uh, these challenges have been brought by state governments through their attorneys general, so led by Texas in challenging the EPA rule, led by Ohio in challenging the California waiver, and also by producers of fuel refiners and other producers of fuel, and um, some other petitioners. 
I've been challenging it. So there's a number of issues raised in each case and happy to walk through those those issues. Yes, that would be great if you could. Sure. So these are big questions, really uh, of huge consequence and of widespread economic effect and very fundamental legal challenges to each of these actions, the EPA tailpipe rules, the NHTSA fuel economy standards, and the California waiver. Those are the three cases we're talking about. And the challenge to the EPA uh, tailpipe rules is that this is a major question, whether the EPA can use this Clean Air Act authority, which is, this is just authority to uh, require automakers to reduce the pollution emissions from their from their motor vehicles. And EPA is supposed to and traditionally has taken into account a balance between what's what can feasibly be achieved in terms of cleaner engine performance and fuel performance versus the effect on the interest in preserving positive or productive economic activity, because there's always a balance in economic regulation. And that's what EPA has traditionally taken into account in setting standards for different pollutants. But now that EPA has gotten into the business of setting limits on carbon dioxide emissions, claiming that that's a harmful pollutant, now EPA is making up standards for automakers to meet because you cannot have an internal gas-powered internal combustion engine vehicle that doesn't emit carbon dioxide. I'm sorry, you can't. Okay, and so once you start setting limits on that, then you're almost automatically talking. You're on a on a pathway to potentially force the industry to convert its entire production process to making entirely new and different types of vehicles that are not internal based on an internal combustion engine. And so the fundamental legal question is, did Congress ever give EPA that authority to take this Clean Air Act statute that's been used for decades to put reasonable limits on known pollutants and to start using it as a massive lever to force a huge transformation in the automobile industry, one of our fundamental industrial, part of our industrial base in the U.S., a fundamental part of our industrial base. Millions of Americans owe their jobs to the supply chain and one part or another of the auto industry in this country. Americans love their cars, right? And uh, we, we buy F-150 pickups and Ram uh, pickups and um, these different kinds of, of very popular gas-powered cars. And what EPA is talking about doing is forcing that industry, notwithstanding the wishes of America's families, forcing it to change its production to electric vehicles so that that gradually will be more and more what you see at the dealership. And those options in those other vehicles will begin to disappear. So it's a fundamental question. And the argument in challenging it is that that is what's called a major question. And that's a... a question fundamental to the national economy with major economic consequences and political implications that is the type of question we would normally expect Congress to decide. And if the Congress has granted an administrative agency, which is not elected, 
Mm-hmm. It's just a point of these are bureaucrats. They're just not accountable directly to the American people. Theoretically, they're accountable to the president, um, but uh, they're much less accountable than your elected representatives in Congress. So if Congress intended to give this huge kind of power to this federal agency, we would expect that grant of authority to be very clear in the statute. And that's what the Supreme Court has said recently in West Virginia versus EPA and other major questions doctrine cases on issues of major questions with huge consequences. We will require a clear statement in the statute that the agency has the specific authority to do what it's claiming to do. So that's a big issue in challenging the EPA's rule. Even apart from the major question doctrine issue, another big question is whether EPA can regulate electric vehicles as part of the class of motor vehicles. But EPA itself says they don't emit any of the pollutants that EPA has authority to regulate. Mm -hmm. They don't even have tailpipes. Okay, so this is a rule for putting limits on pollution from tailpipes. And they're including in the class of vehicles that they are regulating vehicles that don't have any tailpipes and they say don't emit any pollutants. And yet they're putting them all together with the gas-powered vehicles and saying this is how you have to satisfy this rule. In other words, you you have to start making more and more of these other types of things. And, um, And then what they do is they put that whole universe of vehicles together, both electric and gas-powered, and they say, we're going to apply our standards by averaging the standards across the fleet. And you see what they're doing there by including electric vehicles in the pool and then saying, we're going to apply it by averaging. You're essentially creating a mechanism to force the industry gradually to produce more and more electric vehicles and fewer and fewer gas-powered vehicles. And in fact, just this year, EPA has proposed a new rule for the following, for, for further years into the future, because these rules apply by model year of new vehicles. So they're going out further in the future. The current rule they're just now proposing, they haven't finalized it yet. So it's not yet in court. It'll be challenged too next year, but it hasn't been finalized yet. They've just proposed it, but, it's, but they're going even further in the in the new rule. And it's very obvious that they're using this mechanism as kind of a sliding scale or slide rule to sort of force the industry more and more to produce electric vehicles to try to reach those goals that Joe Biden and Gavin Newsom have laid out. So that's the challenge to the tailpipe rule. That was argued yesterday. The taking the lead was the fuel producers in challenging that, and it was defended by the Justice Department representing the EPA. And also, it was challenged by the state of Texas, and the deputy solicitor general for the state of Texas argued their argument there challenging the EPA's rule. The second rule, which is under challenge, is the NHTSA fuel economy standards. These are the fuel economy standards that NHTSA finalized last year, and they go through model year 2026. Again, NHTSA has just a few weeks ago proposed a new set of fuel economy standards that go out further into the future from model year 27 to 31, and so it's more of the same. But this challenge to the NHTSA standards 
is focusing on that provision that I mentioned earlier that in the statute that NHTSA applies that prohibits NHTSA from considering the fuel economy of electric vehicles when they set fuel economy standards for internal combustion engine vehicles. And the claim is that NHTSA violated that prohibition, that restriction, by doing what I think I described, which is considering the electric vehicles that are out there in the world as part of the baseline for performance of fuel economy achieved today in order to build on top of that and determine how much further they could go. And in this rule, wow, did they go further. They took what we had done during the Trump administration and then they bumped it up greatly by increasing the required fuel economy performance for new vehicles by 8% for one year, 8% for the next year, and 10% for the third year. So over three years, they bumped it up 26%. It's huge increase and just impossible, just really impracticable, not feasible, which are the standards they're supposed to apply. Is it technologically feasible? Is it economically practicable? And it's not for internal combustion engine vehicles to meet these standards. There's no way the automakers, as a, in terms of their whole fleet across the country, can meet these average requirements without beginning to migrate their production more and more than they already do to electric vehicles. So NHTSA is using its fuel economy standards to do exactly what EPA has been trying to do. And the f major thrust of the argument challenging that is that they violated this provision by taking into account fuel economy of electric vehicles. So I think that argument seemed to resonate with the court yesterday, and so we'll see how that goes. The panel, there was one panel of three judges mm -hmm. that heard both of those cases yesterday, and these are, you know, accomplished judges who sit in the, uh, this is the second highest court in the country, mm -hmm. the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. This is the court where Justice Scalia came from, Justice Thomas, Chief Justice Roberts, Justice Kavanaugh, Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson, and others mm -hmm. have come from this court. So the judges on this court are very accomplished, mm -hmm. and the chief judge of the court was on the panel, Sri Srinivasan, appointed by President o Obama. Then Judge Greg Katzis, who was appointed by uh, President Trump, and a pretty new judge, Judge Florence Pan, who is appointed by uh, President Biden. And she actually took the place on the court of Judge, now Justice, Ketanji Brown Jackson. So I think it's fair to say that the panel was a, a pretty tough panel mm -hmm. uh, for the challengers, but we'll see. You know, it's always hard to predict how courts come out on particular cases, very complicated, such as these cases. And these are big issues of m national importance massive economic consequences, freedom of all Americans to have those gas-powered cars we love, issues that are going to continue to percolate. So however this panel of judges decides these two cases, uh, I think these issues will continue. They may ultimately be decided by the Supreme Court, uh, particularly if they're recognized as major questions. And ultimately, Congress is going to need to decide these issues for the United States. That's really the only proper way for issues like this to be decided. Today's case, the one that was argued just this morning, was the challenge to the California waiver that was granted by uh, EPA. And 
That challenge was brought principally by, also by the fuel producers, refiners and fuel producers, but also by the state of Ohio. And the Solicitor General for the state of Ohio argued that case, Ben Flowers, and then representatives for the, the fuel producers as well. And um, the challenge there is mainly that EPA um, cannot grant a waiver to California that allows it to do this greenhouse gas regulation of vehicles and require zero emission vehicles because the whole purpose of that regulation is to address what is claimed to be a global climate issue for which the effects are not unique to California. And the effects in California are not unique versus other states or really any other location on the face of the globe. These are global issues. That's the whole argument of the uh, climate change um, um, policy push. And so the claim is that EPA could not do what the statute requires it to do, and that is to find that these the waiver is necessary to allow California to put in place regulations that it needs to put in place because of compelling conditions in California. And EPA has a breathtakingly broad interpretation of its authority to grant California this waiver. EPA says as long as California can show it still has a need to have its own regulations, and this is primarily granted to it because it has a particularly bad, historically bad problem with smog in the L.A. basin area. And as long as California needs its own program because of smog in L.A., we're going to grant it a waiver to issue any kind of rules it feels it needs to issue. Uh, no, no matter what, and we're not, we don't have to check on whether the particular standard it wants to issue now, and what's at issue here is re the requirement to convert to zero emission vehicles. We're not, we're not even going to ask whether it has a need because of compelling local conditions to put in place that requirement. They just, they, they just say they don't even have to ask that question as long as California continues to have bad smog. Uh, and and has a need for a program generally. The effect of these California regulations is even broader and more draconian than what the Biden administration is trying to do f directly through its own federal rules. This would require, as I said, as Gavin Newsom has ordered, all the automakers that sell new vehicles in California, which is all the automakers that sell in the U.S., you can't sell in the U.S. and avoid the California market. It's the biggest car market mm -hmm. in the country. That all the automakers that sell vehicles in California have to convert to 100% electric by 2035. And it's not in any way going to be limited to California. First of all, any other state under this federal statute can elect to apply California's rules in their own state if they have some clean air issues, problem areas. And more than a dozen blue states have done that, representing a large fraction of the U.S. population. Um, and then in addition, the economics of the California market being so big and significant and the add on these other states. And we're talking about states like New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. Massachusetts. Um, 
the automakers have no choice economically but to convert their production to electric to meet these standards. The automakers are not complaining, by the way, about this rule, not, not in this go-round. I think what EPA is doing in the current proposal, the new rule, has gone so extreme that even the automakers there are complaining about it. But in the cases that are currently before the court, the automakers are not challenging what California is trying to do and what EPA has done. And I think that's because they just want to sell vehicles. And, you know, even though you want to buy a gas-powered vehicle, hey, if they can sell you an electric vehicle or force you to buy it, um, they're they're just as happy. Uh, particularly, they can get more money for the electric vehicles. They, they can charge more. They cost more. Um, but they do. They need the assist of government to force that change because the big problem they have is consumers in the U.S. are not flocking to these electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. So um, they're kind of going along with these regu- this heavy-handed regulation and leaving the challenge to the fuel producers and the states uh, that are uh, unhappy about this. Some of the states today were arguing, this is Ohio's argument, that it violates their sovereignty interests for Congress to give California this one state or the EPA to grant this one state, California, this unique power over the rest of the economy and every every other market in the country and every other state. That's a pretty compelling uh, argument. I will say in both of these cases, there are threshold issues mm-hmm. uh, that always crop up, often crop up in these complicated administrative law cases where the government is challenging the standing of the parties to raise certain arguments or claiming that they didn't preserve the arguments by making them before the agency. So there are these complicated threshold questions uh, that could complicate the outcome. Um, uh, those are always somewhat tricky. Uh, and so there's a lot of argument today and yesterday navigating through those. Today's case, which is the um, Ohio versus EPA case challenging mm-hmm. the California waiver. That was before three judges, a different panel of mm-hmm. judges. That was um, Judge Robert Wilkins. He was appointed uh, to the D.C. Circuit by President Obama. And uh, Judge Michelle Childs, she was appointed by President Biden. And then finally, a pretty new judge, mm-hmm. Judge uh, Brad Garcia, who was also appointed by President Biden. So, um, but I do think there there seemed to be a good amount of interest by the panel of three judges today uh, for this argument that California needs to look at each standard. It can't just look at the overall program and say, oh, they still have a need for the program, so that's enough. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Again, I make no predictions <laughs> on how it comes out. But the waiver that California that excuse me that the EPA has granted to California mm-hmm. in this case when it comes to climate change regulation carbon dioxide emissions from motor vehicles nothing could be broader and more powerful so they're just handing California's regulators a carte blanche authority to change the automotive landscape convert the whole auto industry in the US change all of the choices that American families have available at the dealership in terms of new motor vehicles across the country from coast to coast. 
incredible power, enormous economic power and political power, really, mm -hmm. that EPA has handed to California. So again, I would say the case of the legality of this kind of um, waiver and whether the statute really gives EPA the authority to hand California this blank check, I could see this, this again, being the kind of issue that might make its way at some point to the Supreme Court. Um, I have to say that just yesterday, the House of Representatives passed a bill called H.R. 1435, which is the uh, preser preserving choice, con consumer choice at the dealership bill, and it would prohibit EPA from granting these waivers to California for uh, to give California authority to limit or prevent the sale of internal combustion engine vehicles mm -hmm. and would also require EPA to revoke these types of waivers that have previously been granted during the Biden administration. Some very important legislation. Uh, it's hard to speculate how it might <laughs> fare in the Senate, but it just passed the House of Representatives yesterday. This was authored by Congressman John Joyce of Pennsylvania. Um, so got to give a shout out to the House of Representatives for taking on this issue. Uh, unfortunately, as often happens with these matters of the administrative state and the growth of the administrative state and the power of regulators and bureaucrats who aren't elected, uh, part of the problem resides in the fact that our elected representatives in Congress have not really been doing their job. They've not really been taking on these big issues that really only Congress mm -hmm. should decide for the American people. That's the way our Constitution is supposed to work. They've not been taking on those issues, and they've sort of been sitting back when it comes to big controversial questions like these and been content to let the bureaucrats in the administrative agencies decide the questions. Uh, again, usually under statutory grants of authority that go back many years uh, that were given to those agencies at a time when Congress never contemplated this kind of use mm -hmm. of those powers. So that's really what's at stake. It gets fundamental to our constitutional system, to the growth and power of the administrative state and the coercion mm -hmm. that regulators are using to try to force change in the name of uh, the Green Dream climate policies and other, other goals like that. And these cases are really at the heart of that. And they're complicated, but it's important for the American people to understand mm -hmm. what's happening, at least at a big picture level. Mm -hmm. Well, Steve, thank you so much for breaking down these cases for us. It'll be really interesting to see the outcomes of them. Um, we'd love to have you back on to discuss when we do get those decisions, uh, the significance of them. And yeah, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Samantha, I'm glad to be here and thank you. And that's going to do it for today's episode of the Daily Signal podcast. Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Steve Bradbury, Distinguished Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. If you haven't had the chance, make sure you subscribe to the Daily Signal wherever you get your podcasts and help us reach even more listeners by leaving a five-star rating and review. We read and appreciate all of your feedback. Thanks again for listening. Have a great start to your week, and we'll be back with you all this afternoon for top news. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Samantha Asheris. 
Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.